Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Daily Podcast, brought to you by Travel Bag, creating holidays packed full of exciting memories since 1979. If there's one thing cricket is good at, it's enjoying dead robbers, meaningless games without context. Today's game between Sri Lanka and West Indies was the first such contest of the World Cup. Sri Lanka picks up their third CWC19 win, while West Indies are left in ninth place after eight games. I'm Yazrana and today I'm joined by Wisdom's Ben Gardner on the phone. How are you, Ben? Yeah, I'm not too bad. Yeah, you're exactly right. When when the rubbers go dead, we come alive. Absolutely. Did you have a moment of the day? Yeah, I did. Uh, it came right at the end. Um, it was Angelo Matthews bowling his first ball in ODI cricket, and so we're told his first ball in any sort of cricket, the nets, uh, a match, anything for eight months. Um, just ambles up about, probably about 69 miles an hour. Who knows? And uh, nicks off poor and he's batting like a dream with 118 first ball and wins the game for Sri Lanka and I guess so he, he did, there was no injury thing it wasn't like um, well, it wasn't that sort of thing where they were trying to make up the overs uh, Karina Ratna just felt that um, Bandersay was going for a few too many he bowled over himself Karina Ratna and I think that sums up Sri Lanka's tournament in a way I mean they came in with not much expectations no sort of great designs on winning the whole thing but I think just through sort of uh, cobbling together they've put together a, a pretty decent campaign where they've sort of stayed in contention for a long time got more wins than I think almost everyone would have uh, would have said they would ahead of the tournament. I mean, if you look at the, the players that have stood up, is uh, like Malenga, who was out of the side not long ago and thought his international career was done. The lead spinner has been Dalen Jada Silva, who's a, a test match number three and a part-timer. It's, uh, it's not really made any sense, but as they've left a sort of indelible mark on this tournament and have We've got them all to thank for making it making it exciting, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, I was really critical of their squad before the tournament was announced. Um, I mean, remarkably, in October 2018, they beat England by 200-odd runs in an ODI, uh, and only three of that 11 actually made it to the World Cup. 
Karun Ratney hadn't played an ODI for four years. I mean, Avishka Fernando today was was brilliant. He scored his first international hundred. He's been uh, one of the one of the few breakout players of the tournament. Uh, there haven't been many breakout players, but he's definitely been one of them. Uh, so my question, Ben, is where's he been if he's this good? Well, I mean, I think there's more of the story to come of where he's been. There's been sort of a a bit of stuff coming out that he was there was there was illness basically that was stopping him from playing and I mean I guess you don't know what 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 that could that could mean without more info it's not it's not good to to speculate but I think that um I think the thing is, is that he came in at a very young age he was what 18 and playing his first this day game when he made his debut yeah, against Australia crazy. and uh, opening the batting and got bowled by Mitchell Stark obviously but I think that shows that they that they raised him and I th- I I sort of feel that the only reason they didn't give him more of a chance is because of external circumstance rather than they then thought oh he's not good enough he needs to go and prove himself because that's not really how Schwanker do things you look at Kassar Mendes he gets a really long rope you look at even going back players like Kumar Sankara at the beginning of their careers didn't have astonishing starts were sort of averaging 30s for, for a while and then exploded I think that's Schwanker like to give to identify players early and give mm. them a long rope and they're actually they're, they're pretty good at it and those players tend to I mean as we see with like with Malinga and Matthews, they tend to flourish much later on in their careers, and he could well be one who we sort of like we're still talking about in in a, in a long time. I think. Yeah, yeah. Quite oddly, uh, Sangakara on commentary today said that Shrankan selectors need to give young players more of a chance, and sometimes young players do well and they're quite quickly dropped. Uh, I'm not really sure that's the case. Kusar Mendes, who looks brilliant, has played the odd brilliant innings. He's been given so many opportunities and decide, and he's been allowed to um, develop on the international stage. Um, what, what do you think is next for Fernando? I mean, his domestic record is actually not not that impressive. Um, do you think that he will be drafted into the test team at the first available opportunity? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's. I mean, I don't think there's loads of heed paid to strengthen domestic record. Sometimes, I mean, I think it's not unfair to say that their setup leaves a little bit to be desired. I mean, there's sort of part-time spinners there who are, are sort of taking loads and loads of wickets. I think all finger spinners basically the top wicket takers there. So I think you kind of have to go on other things uh, based on it to, to see if they're going to ma- make it at the top level. And he seems to he seems to have it, basically. Uh, so yeah, I, I think I'll do that. I, I was just thinking it was interesting what you said about the um, this not being the tournament for, for breakout stars. And it's been the tournament for the old stage, really, for your Malingas and your Matthews and your what have Riazes and I guess that's what I mean I know that the players Shlantians picked didn't have loads of ODI experience as well which is what made it all the more bizarre but they at least were established international players and I guess they have kind of just coped with the pressure of the World Cup reasonably well which is why they've had a decent tournament in the end They've they've surpassed everyone's expectations of the kind of uh, stumbled upon what is actually a pretty solid top five. Pereira, Karuna Ratne, Fernando, Mendes, Matthews is, is actually a that's, a that's a strong top five. Fernando, I think, his hook shot is, is so good. He hit Cotchell for a brilliant six today, uh, 89 miles per hour, and he hit Joffre Archer for two sixes in that game. Um, and if England get knocked out, by the way, on, on Wednesday against New Zealand, I think we'll look back as would look back at Fernando's 49 against England as as, as like the turning point in their campaign. Schranker were three for two, all over Schranker, and Fernando played this quite brilliant counter-attacking 49 that changed the momentum of that game. Um, ben, there was a no, there was a no, yeah, sorry. Just think about the brilliant players that the batsmen that were in that game, and he he was the only one to get to grips with that that victory. I guess Ben Stokes sort of towards the end, but I mean. 
yeah, it was it really stood out because of how everyone else struggled, not just because of the final result, if that makes sense. Yeah, it was a yeah, absolutely. Um, he wasn't the only young person to score their first international 100 today. Nicholas Puran, who has also looked really good in the tournament without leaving a, a game-defining innings until today, uh, he, he was superb. He scored his first 100 in, in all professional cricket. And he's another one who perhaps could have we could have seen more of before if it weren't for injury. Yeah, uh, so I think it was a, a, a few years ago he was involved in a, a, a really bad car crash and uh, it but there were times after that when he couldn't move either his legs. He had to have some some quite serious surgeries. Uh, so I think I think yeah, he, he's another one exactly. We'd have seen more of him, and it's not a marker of his talent or lack of that he hasn't played till now. It's just been circumstance. I think we can expect to see a lot of him. It remains to be seen whether that will be in T20 cricket or whether that will be in in Test cricket for the West Indies. But I mean he. As, as far as you can tell, he looks like a player who has the game for it. I mean, I don't know if the temperament is there yet, I guess. I mean, there have been a few times sort of most sort of thrown it away. And then today as well, in sight of, I mean, actually you could sort of forgive him in sight of his first professional 100, but uh, he sort of ran out Fabian Allen, which as much as that uh, that Matthews wicket put the seal on the defeat, that was the moment that like, the game turned. Because Allen was batting brilliantly, he got to a 30-40-50 and... Yeah, what boy on 99 sort of desperate to get those hundreds they set off and then was desperate not to get out on 99 so turned back and was completely sold his mate down the river. And uh, yeah, but yeah, no, no, a, a brilliant talent and, and it's, yeah, it's playing brilliant. And you've got to give the credit to, to Graham Swan, he said it all those, all those weeks ago in, our, in what our first podcast said that you see him in the CPL or the IPL and his, he was something special and he was uh, mm. been bang on, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, the, the fact that he never scored a professional 100 until today, and he was still being selected as West Indies number number four in a World Cup, kind of suggests that people think there's something special about him. You don't you don't get have people batting for if, uh, without professional hundreds that often, so there must be something different about him. Um, West Indies are, are in ninth place; they haven't won a game in in over a month, um, but it hasn't felt like they've played that badly. They've been in, they've been close in some games. Ben, where, where do you think they've where, where do you think they've gone wrong? I think the, the close thing can't really be underestimated because it is a tournament where as much as it's a long group stage you're also like a few bad results can really put you out of it and I think that the, 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 the real clincher was the one against uh, Australia where they, they were pretty close and then Mitchell Stark came in and cleaned up the tail and that was that basically but um, just the way they talk about that in every press conference now they kind of say oh if that Australia game had gone differently if that Australia game had gone differently and I think as much as it set them back on the points table it just completely sucks any of the wind out of their sails of the momentum from the England series before that and from that game against Pakistan um, and then obviously the close game against uh, against New Zealand and again today but I, I guess also the, the, the Bangladesh game showed something else when so obviously the short ball had done it against Pakistan and then against Bangladesh they tried to go short and against like Shakib is a brilliant player of the short ball it was kind of never going to work but you saw in that game Andre Russell he was bowling a lot of short balls bowling quickly his knees kind of finally gave out and it was just it was heartbreaking to see because he was there on the field like uh, just not able to even fall over after the ball uh, just because he hoped if he could maybe stick it out he could bowl that one more over and maybe get the wicket and it's clear that he cares so much and it has meant so much to all of them I think almost the fact that it's meant so much and been building up to it I think because it came all of a sudden that they suddenly had a chance to do something when it started going wrong it went wrong quite quickly I guess but 
I mean, yeah, they, they could easily have if that Bangladesh game gone their way and then they they won the three the three close ones. They they could be semi final contenders. And there's a, the core of a really good team there, really good batting lineup, especially. So all is all is not all is not lost. And I hope that they kind of recognise that and they when they go home and evaluate that this hasn't been the awful tournament looks like in the points table. I guess it's quite a positive reflection of the competitiveness of the tournament that a team this good is likely to finish ninth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, all they are is a what one one wrist spinner, a seaman, just a little bit of, of guile, I guess, and the mm. batting department away from being real contenders. I was looking at the table uh, today, and Sri Lanka before this game were uh, out of contention for the top four spaces because the most points they could finish on was 10 and England are on 10 points but because Sri Lanka had two rained off games they could not have as many wins as England and if teams are on equal points it goes to games won before net run rate and that's actually quite harsh because if Sri Lanka had won uh, today which they did and they win their last game against India they'll end up with a win percentage of 57% which is better than what England would be if England finished on 10 um, on ten points which would be 55% which seems a bit harsh Ben is that an oversight from the tournament organisers that uh, a team with a better win percentage can be knocked out basically just because they had two games rained off yeah absolutely I mean it's kind of a double edged sword that it's more losses if you finish on the same points as someone else um, I guess the thing is, is that like in cricket, there's not going to be a perfect solution as there is obviously in, in football with goal difference because you don't get a single type of margin of victory. You don't get runs or wickets. Like they could go with net run rate, but we've seen before how that throws up some odd results. Like in the 2015 World Cup when New Zealand beat Australia by one wicket in what was obviously a really close game, but in 25 overs, so they got a huge boost in their, in their net run rate. And um, I think what you're looking for in a differentiator is something that. Um, oh shit! Sorry, I should. I want to talk about something else first. Um, there's, there's something else people suggested as a potential tiebreaker, which is using DLS because you can get a margin of victory in terms of runs. You'll see it if there's a, a chase ended before the, uh, the team has a chance to get the runs, and it will say they've won by 16 runs because they're this much ahead of the DLS pass score. And you can actually use that to get a runs margin in any chase, so that you can get a runs margin in any game. Um, but the problem with that is, if you bowl a team out for 50, say, and then chase it down in five overs, you've obviously delivered an absolute hammering, but you uh, have only won by, at most, 50 runs, which mm-hmm. doesn't sound that close. Um, so there's that, that's also not a perfect solution. So I guess, yeah, I, I, I don't have one, but it's... Uh, Net, net run rate does add an interesting dimension to the tournament, though. Um, I mean, West Indies and New Zealand picked up enormous victories in the first few games of the tournament um, that has had a very long-lasting effect on their net run rate. Um, it's effectively given them an extra point. New Zealand's net run rate is excellent. Pakistan's is awful, largely down to that defeat to, to the West Indies on day two of the tournament. Do you Do you understand how net run rate works? Because the commentators definitely don't. Yeah, no, well, I, I do, but I've I've looked into it and I have a uh, a maths degree. I, I won't give the uh, the explanation out since sure there's easy things to let us out there, but it is sort of counterintuitive in more than just the fact that it takes a bit of calculation to do in that. So I'll try and explain how this works in my head. Is that if you want a tiebreak between teams, you want it to uh, get 
a level of sort of dominance, I guess, in the games that they've won, because obviously just looking at the wins and losses hasn't cut it. And the thing with net run rate is it, putting aside the other stuff about wickets lost, is it gets you dominance per ball, if that makes sense, because it's like just the, the, the overs minus the overs, which means that if you win a 20-over game heavily, it's going to impact your net run rate less if you win a 50-over game heavily, which, to me, doesn't make sense, I guess. I think it should be down to each game and how good you were in each game rather than how good you were over all the balls you've bowled and batted, if that makes sense. I think there is a way to do it in that you could um, take the net run rate for each game and add and subtract that. And that would also have the, the nice effect, which some commentators misunderstand, that if you win a game, your net run rate will go up, and if you lose it, your net run rate will go down. That is at least a small change I can see that would improve the system a little bit and take out some of the sort of more confusing aspects of it but yeah i don't know do, do you understand it yes oh well can't, can't, um, not really um but thank you i mean cricket cricket is a complicated game but i think net run rate is the most complicated part of what is one of the more complicated sports um the women's ashes starts today um england looking to regain them for the first time since 2014 uh, australia probably go into the tournament as as favorites uh, Australia scored 340 against a strong England Academy side the other day, which was basically an England Lions side. Um, ben, they go in favourites for you, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. I guess slight question mark. It's not even a question mark. It's just because she's so important. Uh, is Meg Lanning in her form? She's only got two ODI 50s mm. since the uh, since 2017 World Cup. I mean, at least players in the form of her life. So you sort of uh, you can't you can't look look too strongly into into that. As a, so I guess the other thing is I'm not sure if Australia know exactly what what is their best batting art. I mean they did win those two academy games really comfortably, but they were playing quite a quite a different batting line from each one. I think they know especially who their opening partnership should be. If it'll be Rachel Haynes, who has in the New Zealand series, if it'll be Nicole Bolton or Beth Mooney's another candidate, and I think Alyssa Healy's the mainstay up there. So there's the sort of things that England maybe will look at and they can exploit and obviously have some brilliant players of their own. I mean Australia have got a going as strong favourites I think uh, what about players that we might not have seen shine on the on the on the bigger stage before who, who we might see shine over the next few weeks yeah, I think there's there's two or three that stand out I guess from Australia the two are um, Georgia Wareham who's a leggy and she's keeping a man you want to watch the women's ashes down under last time we'll know what a brilliant bowler mm. uh, she is and so to keep her at the side is is she must be something really special, so it would be really interesting how she goes. And the other one is uh, Taylor Vlemink, I think we're going with, uh, yeah, who has, has had a lot a lot of injuries, but is properly rapid. She's uh, Some people think she might be the fastest bowler Australia has ever, which is obviously a high, high accolade because I'm quite young and it sounds like bristle shoulders, but uh, yeah, she, could be, she, she might not play every game, she might not play many games at all, but it will be definitely like faster when she is playing. And from England, I think the two to watch are two that aren't actually in the initial squad. They've gone with sort of a tried and tested squad for the ODIs. Fran Wilson is the one, not surprised, but the one who hasn't played so much in there. But she's been in brilliant form and we've seen what she can do in there. She was a key part of that World Cup campaign. Uh, but the two I think might come in are Bryony Smith and uh, Sophia Dunkley, who have both been in brilliant form for uh, their county sides and Bryony Smith also for the academy side. Um, and I think they, they can maybe see them as just as, as T20 specialists and if it comes to if, if England are making changes after the tests 
match, it'll be because they have grounds to make up. And so they need to win that series or bring, or even win all three. Bringing those two in will be a real, it'll be a real test of what they can do. It'll be really, really exciting because they're two players who I think might well be the bedrock of England's side for, for years to come. The the timing of the Ashes is uh, unfortunate in a way. It's it's starting just as the World Cup reaches the business end. I mean, it's been a long tournament, but we're getting to the to the to the most interesting bit of the World Cup. And as a result, the Ashes is kind of started under the radar and is not perhaps getting the attention that it really deserves. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I guess it's such a busy summer with the men's World Cup, two big women's series and six test matches that I don't know how much choice they really had mm. I wonder also I mean with the format of the World Cup in England and Sri Lanka it would all be basically done and dusted by now and uh, and maybe they could be a bit more focused on it but as it is everyone's still firmly seeing if England are going to qualify mm. uh, I guess that the good thing is is that that test match is going to be such uh, an event is like got its own little window um, and that that when it can just be on Sky for the four days and anyone wants to watch cricket will have to watch that. And that, that is really exciting. Because, I mean, it's it's a huge moment for the women's test game, I guess, because there's only, what, there's only, this is the only test they play now. And there's a lot of people saying that they, or a lot of, at least prominent voice saying they should be playing more. And a, an exciting test match on TV when it's the only thing that's on would be a, a really, a really big boom for that case, I guess. I feel very sorry for the, um, for the players playing in a test match because... In any other game of professional cricket, there isn't pressure on the players to perform, uh, to to be a part of a of a spectacle, as much as a women's test match because it's so there are so few of them nowadays. There's kind of a pressure for it to be an entertaining game, and people's opinions of whether there should be more or or, or fewer uh, women's test matches are almost entirely based off one game every two years. So I basically that's unfair for players to have to handle as well as playing the biggest games of their careers. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's hard to overstate kind of just how different it is when you don't play any sort of multi-take cricket in like in any form of cricket, not not just international. Uh, so I mean, because if, if, if you kind of think about it, when you're playing ODIs and T20s, you can get by by never trying to get a bat a batter out if that makes sense because mm. you can always just be restricting runs you never have to like hold that perfect ball that sort of pitch and off and then seems away and just clips gets the bat and goes to slip you can get by by just sort of you know by getting the runs and, and the same with batting you never have to just set out your stall and bat forever because there's always that time limit on it I think you see especially almost with the batting that they can't it's, it's the natural thing that when you have forever to bat it seems you go a bit slower than you would otherwise uh, or well, not so otherwise, but slower than ideal for the format. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, the thing is, I mean, it's really hard for players, but they, they all pretty much say that they want to play more and that they love playing them. And I mean, it's 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 it's, it's a bit of a, a slap in the face, I think, really, because everyone's talked about how Test cricket in men's cricket is the pinnacle, and then say to women, basically, no, you can't really play that. I think that they have to play more if they're taking it seriously. And uh, there was actually a suggestion given to me by Adam Collins, uh, Australian writer, and been on this podcast, I think, that uh, um, uh, you, you can do basically women's ashes format for all cricket around the world, because they only have the ICC Women's ODI Championship. And you just extend that to all three formats, and every tour is basically two ODIs, a test match, and three T20s, and like 
you have it there basically um, and I think that's a that's a really good suggestion and there's one that, that if I were in charge I would try and look into but I'm not so. a very reasonable suggestion but yeah as, as you say you're, you're not in charge yet Ben um, yeah not yet uh, we've got uh, we've got a question from one of our regular listeners, Richard Joyce. Uh, it's a good question. Um, out of interest, since you didn't discuss it on yesterday's podcast, is there an argument for Moeen and Plunkett to be picked for England ahead of Rashid? I get the latter's quality and his ceiling is higher, but he seems far from his best. Seven wickets in eight games at 57, going at 5.84 runs per over and a wicket every 59.14 balls. Moeen is only marginally better um, in the stats department and generally out of form with the bat. But he at least offers the possibility of more power down the order if it comes off and arguably bowling a little bit better, albeit Rashid offers greater variation. Just a thought. What do you think about Richard's thought, Ben? Yeah, I think I've, I've taught myself around a bit. Really. I think when I first heard it, I was sort of like, no, there's, you, you, you can't drop Rashid, he's so important. But I think there's a couple of things. One, there's there's so many of those players that England have now. And I think the other thing is, he's, he's, he's right that there's not much between their bowling at the moment. There's probably also not much between their batting really so I mean you're not you're not losing much or gaining much picking either at the moment based on World Cup form but what you do lose when you pick Mo is a slightly different type of bowler that England don't have uh, in their other options I mean what she does brilliantly is take wickets in the middle overs but if England as they would in this scenario I think pick all four of Archer Wokes Plunkett and Wood especially in Wood and Plunkett you have two bowlers whose USP is their sort of middle overs strike taking the wicket taking ability mm. whereas you don't have a guy who can come on and just rattle through three of us at 16 or 17 or whatever uh, you've got that bit of unpredictability with Rashid which Moen is maybe a slightly more consistent bowler and has, has been bowling really well I think um, so yeah I think there, there definitely is an argument I don't think it's the thing that's going to make or break England's World Cup campaign but it's a definitely interesting one to discuss what, 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 what would you say what, what, what's your opinion I mean, over the last four years, Rashid has been indispensable for England, but he's not bowling at 100%. Um, ben Jones said yesterday that perhaps uh, his his injured shoulder is affecting his ability to bowl googlies, particularly to left-handers, and he seems to be bowling fewer googlies than he normally does. If that is the case and he's not bowling at 100%, uh, then, then yeah, I would be open to changing things. Um it's a, it's a difficult one. I, I would be hesitant to to drop Rashid though. He's been so good for England for so long. Um, but I have been surprised that he's played every game in the World Cup because of that shoulder injury. It's been troubling him for what six, seven weeks now. Um, but I think the the big game changer here is is Mark Wood's form. Mark Wood, I think he's always been a player for me that the idea of him has always been better than reality. But since St Lucia, um, that Test match in what February. Um, he's been he's been a completely different bowler to what we've seen over the last four or five years in an England shirt. Um, he's bowling uh, ninety miles plus consistently, and he's playing game after game. I mean, I, I can't believe he's played as much in this World Cup as he has done. Um, and it's his consistency that's changed things. That I mean, before the World Cup, I don't think anyone would have really seen. Uh, I, th- I think everyone would have presumed that Moeen would have played every game. They would have presumed that Rashid. We play every game. The fact that 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 Moeen's not playing at the moment, and Rashid's uh, spot is even under question, even a little bit, I think, is um, uh, a reflection of how well Wood has done as much as anything else. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I mean, but you're right about not questioning Rashid as well. I think he would miss a trick, not just there, but with not playing Tom Curran, which took the brilliant Pakistan series, and he hasn't got a look in, and just could have got some more cup experience under his belt. But also, I mean. You might want to pick with someone. I mean, Wood could 
injured, someone could yet get injured, and then you're bringing Tom Curry and Cole to a, a World Cup semi-final or, 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 or what have you. Mm. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 amazing to see Mark Good bowling and bowling quick. I mean, he's he's just a a, a lovely bloke as well as a as a, a furious bowler. So it's, mm. uh, it's great. Yeah, um, cheers for the for the question, Richard. Um, if you want to ask a question to the panel, get get in touch on Twitter with the hashtag AskWisdom, A-S-K with a capital A and Wisdom uh, with a capital W. Um, ben, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's uh, I know it's late. Uh, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Um, this has been the Wisdom Cricket Daily Podcast brought to you by Travel Bag, creating exciting holidays packed full of memories since 1979 sports social podcast network